This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word. Would you take your Bibles tonight? I know we got shaved, so the, the Bible better hurry up. Would you go to the book of Philippians with me in chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. When your pastor asked me to preach tonight, I began to pray, and it wasn't very long after that that I realized this is really what I feel completely led of the Lord to talk about. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles tonight. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible tonight. While you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about the church at Corinth. It was a great church. It wasn't just a good church, it was a great church. It may have been, according to chapter 4, verse number 1, it may have been Paul's favorite church. He calls it in chapter 4, verse number 1, his joy and his crown. Like, like the church that he found the greatest joy from all of his effort, all of his work, everything that he had done. I mean, it is a great church. And you can have a great church... In a difficult area. You can have a great church that's doing a great work, but they're not seeing, if you will, tangible results like maybe you would want to see. I mean, you could have a great church and there only be a handful of folks, and we see that throughout the New Testament at times. Attendance is not always the indicator of a great church, but the church at Philippi was growing rapidly. And they were doctrinally sound, and they had a passionate love for the Apostle Paul, and they had a passionate love for the Word of God, and they had a passionate love for preaching and teaching, and they were evangelistic. All the marks of a healthy church, they were a mission-giving church. Chapter 4, we learned so much, much about missions and giving from the church at Philippi. I mean, they were a phenomenal church. They were doing great. And it was during this time of greatness that the Apostle Paul chooses to share with them and to share with us through the inspiration of the Spirit of God the absolute importance of unity in the church. There's a leadership principle that I believe in, and that is do that, let me phrase it this way, that the majority of instruction insofar as philosophy and direction of a church should be done when things are going well, not when things are going poorly. In other words, Paul didn't wait till the church at Philippi was having a great struggle to talk to them about unity. When they're doing well and things are going very well, unity and being in unison is of the utmost importance. Who we call us having some good days. Man, wasn't this morning awesome? Almost a record attendance, and you've had weeks of record attendance, and things have been going well and exciting, and people saved, and man, it's just, I'm pumped to be here. I'm just excited to see all that God is doing in a church. I, I've been around church a long time. It's not always this way. Who we call is seeing some great things go on. I love hearing John sing. I love hearing his teaching gift exercise while he tells us what the song's all about. That's wonderful. I, I, I really do enjoy that with all of my heart. Uh, I love hearing the, all of the things go on. I mean, God is blessing who we call it. I mean, your church is unique because right as the pastor gets to the conclusion, the junior church teachers in the other room start singing the loudest songs of the Sunday morning. 
I'm telling you right now, that does not fly at Canyon Ridge. He said, what will you do? We'll call CPS on those kids for being too loud. We'll have them take them away. <laughs> I don't know what we do. I just, and, and, and here's what I love about it. It didn't affect anybody in the room. I thought, that is awesome. So then I thought, like, Lord, maybe should I not preach this? And I'm like, no, I don't have anything else to say anyway. So here we go. When I was in college, I graduated high school. I told the guys yesterday, 1991. We are awesome. We are fun. We are the class of 91. I mean, it was awesome. I love graduating in 91, right after Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. I mean, those were the days when music was music and life was good. It was awesome. Well, I had some scholarships to play basketball at different colleges across the country, and, and uh, really, God just kind of took that desire from my heart. I didn't, take, um, uh, I didn't take any of those scholarship offers. I didn't join the military. I moved a lot as a kid, and I had been in Spokane, Washington, where I graduated from for two years, and I just didn't feel like moving again. And so I decided in August that I would go to community college, and I'd go to Spokane Falls Community College. Well, I was a, my parents didn't have a lot of money. We grew up, uh, my dad was a church planter, and uh, we just didn't have a lot. And so I applied and received the Pell Grant. But you know, if you get the Pell Grant, you have to be a full-time student. And so I had to take at least 12 credit hours in order to get the Pell Grant. Well, being that I didn't decide to go to Spokane Falls until late August or middle of August, and the school started, I think, the first or second week of September, I didn't get a lot of good classes to take. So I went to school, and I went to the registrar, and I took um, macroeconomics, which I absolutely fell in love with. I loved economics. Uh, maybe it's because I had a conservative professor. I don't know. It was awesome. And then I took bowling. <sighs> Got a B in that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I got a B either. I was expecting a D, but I was excited about the B. <laughs> you bowl with me now. I'm still, I can tell you all about it. But I just got bored with bowling. It's like way too long. And so I thought, I, me and my friends came up with games where like tackle bowling. We thought that was better. Professor wasn't very excited about that one. Um, but bowling, I took a class basketball. You say, why basketball? Well, it was available, and I got three credits for it. It was a three-credit class back when America was great, and um, I took basketball. And so I had nine credits, and there were no other classes available other than two. There was a history of Western civilization class that was available, but it was on a VHS how many remember what VHSs are? Now, if you're young, VHS was, was like a, a, a tape cassette, like the stronger logo that we had for the retreat yesterday, men's conference that's going on. It's like a cassette, but for your TV. I know you've probably never seen a cassette other than like in the Smithsonian, but um, it, was, it was a cassette. You put it in your TV. Well, the, the, the VHS tapes had been used so much that you couldn't hear the instructor or see him. And so I got the VHS tape, I go sit down in the library, and I'm, I'm starting to listen to my class for the History of Western Civ class, and you can't hear them, so I pick it back up, and I take it back to the guy that's at the, at the, the, the library, the, or the proctor of the class, and I say, hey, I can't hear this, I need a tape that actually works. He says, that's the best one we have. I said, well, it, you can't hear it. He goes, I know. I said, you can't see it. He said, I know. I said, why'd you give it to me? He said, it's the only one we have. I said, I'm going to fail the class if I do this. He said, I know. Why am I taking this class? And he looked right at me. He goes, I don't know that. 
I'm like, well, I want to withdraw. He goes, okay, I'll withdraw you today. And so I withdrew. But I had to go back to the registrar. I'm going to lose the Pell Grant because I didn't want to pay for basketball, bowling, and economics because that was a dumb idea because I had been to one economics class and I had learned that. So, um, <laughs> so I go back to the registrar and I'm like, hey. And she's like, well, why aren't you taking the Western Civ class? And I tell her the story. She goes, none of the tapes work. I said, not according to the guy that gives out the tapes. She goes, huh, let me call him. So she calls him. She goes, oh, you're right. None of them work. So well, what am I going to do? She goes, I don't know. What are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. You get paid to tell me what to do. And she, if you're, anybody in here from Washington State? Okay, you're like nine, or, or 13, 13, sorry, sorry. I don't know how old you are. I just, I just saw half of your forehead. Um, so I can say whatever I want, because my family's from Washington State, my mom's from Washington State. People from Washington are not nice. They're just mean people. You know how people in the South are friendly? Like, oh man, they're just friendly. They'll give you the shirt off the back. People in Washington will take the shirt off your back. Not because you give it to them, just because they want it. All that stuff with Antifa in Portland. People are like, oh, can you believe what's going on in Portland? That was my life growing up. There's just no video cameras to prove it. It's just how it was. And so this lady looked at me, and she's like, I don't know what you're going to do. I said, well, I need a class. Or I'm going to have to withdraw from school. She goes, the only class we have available is the history of jazz music. Now, I grew up a white kid. That was funny, but you didn't laugh. This is an obvious statement. I grew up a white kid in an independent Baptist pastor's home. There was never rhythm allowed in my home. Like, <laughs> guitars were preached against in my home. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, that's how it was. So history of jazz music was a huge step of spiritual liberty that I was not going to tell my parents about. <laughs> Until I was almost done. Well, I went into the class, and I take this class, me and another friend, and really the only people taking this class were guys that had the Pell Grant that couldn't find any other classes. So you should have seen it. We didn't know each other, but we all took economics, bowling, basketball, and the history of jazz music. It was quite funny. Well, our professor was, I, I don't know, he thought himself to be Louis Armstrong, uh, which was a great trumpeter in jazz music. I, I can tell by the crowd. I'm going to have to really be careful with this illustration to make sure you understand. So we sit down, we take the class, and I fall in love with it. But I have no idea what I'm listening to. And the professor would stop the class. He'd play music for a while. He'd stop the class. He'd go, what instrument is that? And we would all look at each other and we're like, I don't know, piano? He's like, that's a tuba. <laughs> Shows you what we know. Well, the one thing, I remember a lot of things, that I developed a love for, for music and improvisation and all of that from that class. But the one thing that I really, really remember from that class that I was able to pick up really, really quickly, he showed us a video of some musicians that were playing, and they were playing in unison. You'll understand this. And it was just fluid, and it was easy, and you could tell there was nothing difficult about it. They had perfect, if you will, it seemed at least, 
perfect unity when playing. I mean, they were trading, there's some terms here, like trading eights, if you ever hear of a musician where the trumpet is the lead for a while, and then the guitar is the lead, and then the piano is the lead, and maybe the, the percussion is the lead for a while. They were trading eights, and there was no hesitation, no pause. It was perfect. And even as a neophyte musician, a guy who didn't understand hardly anything, you could listen to that and watch that, and you appreciated the unison or the unity that was going on with that music. I mean, it was fantastic. And it was all live. It was recorded live. And it was a beauty to watch. It was amazing. I can still take you back to the classroom in the basement of the music building at Spokane Falls Community College and tell you what seat I was in as we watched that video. It was awesome. And then he played some musicians that were playing without unity they were kind of fighting one another did they still make music oh uh, there was some music being made it wasn't bad it was way better than i could do i mean it was it was good many people would say it's really good but the problem with it was you noticed how out of unanimity or unison they were. There was what we would call almost at times a cacophony because they were battling one another and they weren't in unison. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Philippi and he's talking to them about this biblical principle within the local church of unity. It's a powerful principle. Would you look in verse number one of chapter two where he says this, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Who we call as you are facing some wonderful days and God is blessing you in great ways. I want to talk to you tonight just a couple of points about unity from Philippians chapter 2. I want you to notice in verse number 1 that walking with Jesus is necessary for Christian unity. Walking with Jesus is necessary for Christian unity. Unity is not going to happen over the long term by people who fail to walk with Jesus. It just won't happen in your flesh. The flesh wants what it wants. The spirit wants what the Lord wants. It is imperative that we understand walking with Jesus is necessary for Christian unity. Notice the encouragement of Christ in verse number one. If there be therefore any consolation, that word consolation uh, just means comfort or encouragement. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love. If anything is to encourage us, if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
I don't need to over-apply this text tonight. I just think we have this fundamental understanding that there is to be a strong measure of encouragement that comes from our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason so many people struggle at times to live for Christ, to enjoy living for Christ, to walk with Christ, to want to walk with Christ, is because they've never truly been encouraged, or they're not, let me rephrase it, they're not allowing Christ to encourage them. They're looking to find encouragement through other means and other avenues, and God has called us to be a people who are encouraged in Christ. The point of Christian unity is not unity. The point of Christian unity fundamentally is that we're each and every one encouraged in Christ. We're finding hope in Christ. We're finding help from Christ. If there be, therefore, Paul is saying to the church at Philippi in chapter 1, they were going through attacks from without. People were attacking them from without. They were still seeing people say. They were still seeing people added to the church. They were still seeing spiritual victories in folks' lives. I mean, it was some awesome times. And then Paul says, if you look at the end of verse number, uh, chapter 1, verse number 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and, and now here to be in me. Paul has been talking to them about conflict. And he says the antidote to conflict is unity, and the hope for unity is Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse number one as well, look at towards the middle part, if there be any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, just camaraderie, coming alongside you know what we did for a few minutes when there was that extended, what we would call guest greeting. I, I, don't, I don't remember what Brother John called it, but the, the time when we're just talking and uh, in the middle of the service, we're, we're fellowshipping, we're having koinonia. It's supposed to be a time where we encourage one another, we uplift one another. Maybe we stop and pray for one another. Maybe we stop and help one another. Maybe just the hug or the handshake is a blessing. It's an encouragement. And, and that's the, the word koinonia. That's the word fellowship that Paul is referring to here. And I have fellowship with you. I, I, I have fellowship with others, but the fellowship that matters the most, notice this in the text, if we have fellowship with the Spirit, the Spirit who? The Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that He is our comforter. That word comforter is He is our paraclete. He is the one that comes alongside us. He is the one that encourages us. He's the one that strengthens us. He's the one that helps us. Matter of fact, some old preachers would actually define the Holy Spirit that way in this just to help us understand it. He is our great helper. The one to come alongside and help carry the burden. We have a lady in our church. She's not doing well physically at all. Uh, we, Debbie and I are literally praying uh, for her every day. She's fought cancer for, for many, many years. Many of you in our church here tonight that we're in our church know her. Her name's Brianna. Keep her in prayer. But I've had some, some difficult times being her pastor and, uh, and being away from her during these times and praying for her. And the Holy Spirit said to come and give me some encouragement. My daughter Judith is here. Uh, in the back. I don't know if all of you know her. Judith, would you stand up? She's our oldest daughter. Stand up. Yeah, she's our oldest daughter. She's the one below the TV. Um, she's not the tallest in our family, but she's the, she's the oldest. And, uh, and I love Judith to death. And her moving here, making the worst decision of her life to leave my, her dad, uh, and to move here has not been easy for me. She's told your pastor several times. She's like, I think my dad's having a real hard time with this. I'm like, duh. 
I raised her, and about the time she starts to be product, a productive citizen and human being, she leaves. And it's been difficult for me. You, you ought to be sad when your kids leave. If you can't wait to get your kids out of the house, you did something wrong. Now, there were times when she's like 12 to 24, I couldn't wait for her to get out of the house. But now she's doing well, and I've had some tough times getting, really watching her leave. I've needed, not exaggerating, I've needed the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to help me with this. I know it's nothing like crisis for most folks, but, but I, I just like having my kids near me. I, I, I'm not a control freak. I just like to be the one in control. Am I the only parent that feels that way in the room? I mean, come on. I'm not the only one. And I kind of feel like, oh. And she lived downtown San Diego across from the police station. You say, I bet that's the worst neighborhood in the city. There'd be more than a few times she's like, yeah, Dad, I had to step over four people to get into our apartment last night. And I'm like, do you want to move? No, this is a nice area. <laughs> I guess Honolulu's right up your alley. Um, <laughs> I've needed the fellowship of the Lord. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort in Christ, any comfort of love, any comfort of the love of Christ, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, the word, the phrase bowels and mercies means compassion. It's the bowels in the New Testament time were the center and seed of emotion. It's where all of the emotion was. And Paul is saying, if there's any type of bowel, any type of mercy, any love, any fellowship in the Spirit, if any of these things that you enjoy, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, and these are obvious statements that are absolutely true because he, he will establish in heaven has established that there is consolation in Christ, there is comfort of love, there is fellowship of the Spirit, and there is bowels and mercies, there is compassion from Christ and within the church. So he's being redundant in the asking of the question, They're re or not redundant, rhetorical in the asking of the question. There is comfort of love, there is fellowship of the Spirit, there are bowels of mercies, uh, uh, bowels and mercies, there is encouragement in Jesus Christ. Because of all of these things... Verse number two, fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being a one accord of one mind. What brings joy to the spiritual leader? Paul says, fulfill you my joy. He started this church. He's helping this church. Fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded. Uh, word like-minded doesn't mean that everybody in the group has the same mindset. The, the word like-minded in the group is not referring to the church independently. The word like-minded is referring back to verse number two. Fulfill you my joy, that you have the same motivation or you make it an act of the will that you have the same mind as verse number one, as Christ has for you. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, 
that Christ has. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same fellowship that the Spirit offers. Have the same intense compassion and mercy for one another. In other words, Paul says, if you're going to have unity, I want you to keep Jesus as the object, and I want you to have the same love that Christ has. I want you to have the same comfort of love that the Spirit has, the encouragement of the Spirit, and bowels and mercies one for another. And I want the entire church family, this is what Paul is saying, I want the entire church family to have that same attitude and spirit. No, did you hear me? The, the whole church family to have that same attitude and spirit. And you're only going to do that through the power of the Spirit of God. Why? Because we irritate each other. You don't have to be around people very long to find out how irritating they really are, do you? I mean, come on. How many of you are married? How many of you are married? Like, raise your hand, say amen. Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. I don't know what he's about to do. <laughs> my wife and I got married December 26, 1994. <laughs> all I know is we're still married, all right? I said 100 in there because I was hoping she would get my eyes. <laughs> 1990-something. And uh, we were way too young. We were married. And it didn't take long for me to come to the realization that she irritated me more than any other human on the planet. Now, listen. Do not sit there with your judgmental attitude right now. I can't believe you tell me your wife irritated you. You irritate your spouse too. If you don't irritate your spouse, would you please stand up? Because we will take you off this planet right now for being perfect. I mean, we, 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 we irritate one another. We, we, we can frustrate one another. We, we don't have to, we sometimes don't like one another. I mean, that, that's just how it is. And sometimes that even comes across within church life. And if we're living in the flesh as opposed to the spirit, that's going to play itself out in our interpersonal behavior, our reaction to one another, our, our responses to one another. And so Paul is saying here, listen, you need to have engagement and encouragement of genuine Christian faith fellowship that is patterned after not your parents, not your upbringing, not your friends, not your favorite author, not some podcast you listen to, but you need to emulate the Holy Spirit of God and the Son of God when it comes to loving one another. And the whole church needs to have the same mindset. You know, the Bible says only by pride comes contention. So being of the same mind when it comes to loving like Christ loves, encouraging like the Holy Spirit encourages. I mean, you can see it in verse number one, the fellowship of the Spirit, compassion and, and, and mercies like the Holy Spirit does, the consolation, the engagement of Christ, and, and, and fulfill our joy, my joy. Paul is talking here, but he's talking through the inspiration of the Spirit. It brings joy to the Lord as well, that we have the same mind, we have the same love, we are in one accord we're all doing the same thing. Joined together. One accord is such a great word. It's the expected standard. And it means joined together in the soul. Joined together in the soul. 
Think of how powerful that is. When unity is a soul connection. Like, I, I don't have to fight this to be your friend. We have unity in soul. The connection we have, we can say it this way, is internal. It's because of the Spirit of God. It's not because I want something from you or I don't want there to be problems or I don't want there to be conflict or I don't want there to be tension. No, we have this connection because we're connected together in the soul. Dude, I'm just telling you, that takes unity to a whole new level. What I learned about jazz musicians is they love music. They just love it. They hum it, especially the, 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 my favorite instruments are the saxophone uh, and the clarinet. That you, you could tell a saxophone player a lot of times, in, or even a trumpeter, uh, maybe a tuba player, but the tuba kind of does do, 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 do. What a boring life that is. And so it's just, I'm not being, am I right? I mean, you're just kind of the rhythm to the wind section. I'm spot on. Don't get offended. Be in one accord for crying out loud. Man, way to fail the first spiritual test of the night. Uh, I'm being unkind. That's just kind of how it is. Brother can play the guitar like mad. And I love it. Uh, but, I mean, that's just kind of how it is. But you can hear like, like, like improvisational wind instrument players. Even in public, you can hear them. And they love music. But a lot of times, they'll be in unison for their love for music. The Christian is not supposed to be in unison simply because we want something out of it. The Christian is in unison because we've already got something from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives in our soul is identifying with the Holy Spirit who lives in their soul and we're unified on a spiritual level much more than just on a practical level. I got to hurry because the shave ice people are here. Kids are going crazy. He says in verse number three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let nothing means prohibit it. No, prohibit it. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, the first thought is that walking with Jesus is necessary for Christian unity. And the second is that Christian humility is necessary for Christian unity. The characteristics that we're supposed to prohibit, the characteristics that we're supposed to not allow is strife. What is strife? Rivalry. Those who seek their own interest. Or, this is one of the the synonyms, if you were to look at a lexicon or a dictionary, mercenary interest. What's a mercenary interest? A mercenary interest is Alex is offended at Jordan because Jordan said something about Alex, and I like Alex more than Jordan because he has a better car than Jordan, or for whatever reason, I just like Alex more. So now I'm going to be mad at Jordan because Alex is mad at Jordan. In other words, I have mercenary interest. My relationship with Alex because Alex is mad makes me being mad. Strife. It can be person to person, but it can be third party from people totally unrelated. And, and, and Paul says, let nothing, the word nothing means nothing, be done through strife or, verse number three, vainglory, a desire for praise, self-conceit, prominence, notoriety. 
Let, don't do anything because you seek your own interest or mercenary interest or there's a rivalry. God forgive the church that has rivalries in it. Strife or vainglory. But the characteristics I'm supposed to promote in this text in verse number three are lowliness of mind. Humility. Esteeming ourselves small in as much as we are. The correct estimation of ourself. Notice what he says. In loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Esteem, to consider or hold in a particular light. Let everyone esteem others better. And that word better, I, I love the Bible. It means better. It means above. It means above. Let me esteem, consider you to be above me. You notice that word better means? I'd never seen this pastor till today. I don't know how many times I've preached this text. I'd never seen this till today. I don't know why I never saw this till today, but I never saw it till today. Maybe because I was studying while you were preaching, and that was just inspirational. I don't know. But, but you know what else better means? To hold something over someone. To hold something over someone. Okay, I'll illustrate because you're not following with me. I was really pumped. I like jumped out of my chair. Well, I jumped out of your pastor's chair. You might need to buy him a new one. Um, you remember when you were kids, you had siblings, and I, I remember my brother and I, my brother's five years older than me, and we loved football. We loved sports growing up, and um, I, as I've said many times, my family wasn't well to do. And so the things that we had, my, I mean, my mom was very diligent to be a good steward with what we had. And so we weren't allowed to do things in our house like throw a football. Any of the rest of you ever have those, those horrific, evil, ungodly rules? Can't throw a ball in the house. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. My mom was like, you better not throw that ball in this house. You break something. My mom, as I told you yesterday, my mom was German. She, she was Hitler's granddaughter. You break anything in this house, I'll kill you. I'll tell you one right now. We'll string you up from that tree outside. And we had several trees. I wasn't sure which one she was talking about. And so one day, one day, my mom's gone. I don't know where she was. Probably gambling. <laughs> She's a preacher's wife. Um, I hope she watches this. <laughs> I was not gambling. I was calling bingo at the Catholic church. <laughs> and my mom, my mom was gone, and my brother and I were in the house. And my brother threw me the ball, and I caught the ball in the living room, and five years older than me, and I juked him. And when I juked him, he tackled the lamp, and he broke the lamp. He broke the lamp. And he said, these were the first words out of his mouth to me. Don't tell mom. And I was like, why not? Because you broke the lamp. I did not break the lamp. You broke the lamp. Man, I held that over my brother for weeks until my sister hit the lamp and broke it. And my brother and I were like, I can't believe you broke the lamp. <laughs> but I held that over my brother. He'd be like, hey, Chris, it's you know, your turn to take out the trash. I wonder if I could turn the lamp on, Tim. Okay, I'll take out the trash. To hold over. 
This is how I'm supposed to view other people in the church. Not in a negative way. Don't get me wrong. It's, Paul's not trying to be negative here. He's just simply saying, I'm holding them this over you. I, this is what I'm holding over you, that you have something over me. So if you need something that I can do, I esteem you. I consider you to be better than me. Oh, this is life-changing. This is, so if Daniel and I have a problem and, and, and we're, we're, we're frustrated to figure out the consideration, I'm saying, whoa, 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 he's got something on me, so I'm immediately going to surrender to him. Now, did you hear me? I'm going to surrender to him because he's got something on me. What does he have on me? Well, what he has on me is that I consider him better than me. So I'm going to just go ahead and surrender to him because he's got something on me. And, and since he has something on me, I'm just going to do it because he's better than me. This is life-changing in marriages. Oh, I know that woman. No, no, she's got something on you. She's got something on you. You better esteem better than yourselves. I got like three minutes, but I'll take more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look on, not on your own thing, but on the things of others. And then I want you to notice this. Verse number five. Now, the paragraph ends. I'm a paragraph preacher. I try to preach one paragraph at a time unless the paragraph has too much in it to, to get through, like Romans 6 that we studied over the men's conference. And, and so I'm a paragraph preacher. And paragraphs, the whole point of a paragraph is one point. You preach that one point. So the paragraph ends in verse number 4, just so you know. But the next thought is not there accidentally. And it's not there haphazardly. It's there extremely intentionally given by the Holy Spirit. As Paul talks about unity in the church through the inspiration of God, unity, 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 the, the, the importance of Christians walking with God, the importance of Christians' humility. And I, I, I can almost, in my mind, this is how it works, is that the Holy Spirit knows there's going to be somebody in the church going, I'm not treating anybody like they have something over on me. I, I'm not going to esteem them. Who, Paul, who do you think you are? Don't you understand that's not how life is supposed to be lived? Don't you understand? that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and get what you can and can what you get and sit on the lid and spoil the rest. I mean, come on, Paul. Who do you think you are? Nobody can do that. And so he goes to verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, meaning being very God himself, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. God made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant. If Jesus had come to earth as the king of the world, it would have been the greatest demotion in human history. But he didn't come as the king of the world. He came as a humble impoverished little servant in the dusty, ugly town of Nazareth. 
and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Same word as lowliness that we looked at earlier in verse number three. Jesus humbled himself. Verse number seven. Or eight. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Before you start thinking like, I can't believe anybody would ever do that. I can't believe you would intentionally think somebody has something over you. I can't, I can't believe you would, you would just in unity, just for the sake of unity, surrender unless there's theological or moral issues that are at bay. I can't believe that anybody would. I mean, who would do that? Can I tell you? I told your pastor earlier, I said my conclusion tonight is Jesus. Who would do that? Jesus. Who did that? Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Church of Philippi is blowing and going. Great days are ahead. Great days are happening. Wonderful things are going on. But the Holy Spirit of God led Paul to write this message in the Holy Scripture about unity to help the church at Philippi and to help who we call it. Because if we're not careful, we begin to think we brought something to the table. We deserve something. We ought to have something. What we deserve is hell. What we ought to have is eternal separation from God. But because of the abundant grace of Jesus Christ, we have heaven as our home, Christ as our king, fellowship with the Spirit, unity with believers, and an awesome place to be encouraged three to four times a week in our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christ alone, Christ alone is our example. He's the premier example. He's the prominent example. He's the highlight reel. He's the, he's the greatest of all time. Nobody's ever been more humble than him. Nobody's ever been more kind than him. Nobody's ever been more gracious than him. Nobody's ever given up more than him. Nobody's ever been a better example of Christian unity than Jesus Christ himself. I wonder tonight, do we emulate him? Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.